uh, we're going we're gonna to come to the Word of God this morning. And um, I want to, if you've got a Bible, if you want to turn with me to um, 2 Samuel chapter 6. 2 Samuel chapter 6. Uh, before I uh, read this scripture or a couple of verses out of this, uh, out of this chapter, um, let me just give you a little bit of background um, to, to the passage here. Uh, the most religious, uh, the most um, kind of special, significant artifact um, for the children of Israel was the Ark of the Covenant. In fact, it was more than just a, a religious artifact. Uh, the Ark of the Covenant was where God's glory was. It was where God's presence was. It was the Ark of the Covenant that had led them uh, through their journey in the wilderness. Um, it was the Ark of the Covenant, which was the one, uh, the one object in the Holy of Holies beyond the veil. Um, it was the Ark of the Covenant that they taken into battle and they'd seen God go before them and rout their enemies. But then came the time of the judges and God's people had disobeyed God. They'd set up idols. They'd, their hearts had turned away from God. And there came a tragic day when they lost the ark. They lost the glory of God. They lost the presence of God. Can you imagine God's people no longer having God's presence? They'd gone into battle against the Philistines and they'd taken the ark with them and just presumed that God would defeat the enemy, even though their hearts were far from God. Uh, but it didn't work like that. The, the God's people had been defeated and the Philistines had taken the ark captive. That didn't work out too well for the Philistines. The judgment of God came into the Philistine camp and, and sickness and death and disease, all kinds of things took place. And eventually they gave the ark back to the children of Israel. And it was almost kind of um, in hiding for a little bit, of, uh, uh, for a season. Uh, but then David becomes king. And one of the first things that David does after he becomes king, he says, I want to bring the ark back to Jerusalem. I want the glory of God to come back to the nation. I want to make God's presence a central hub of my kingdom, the, 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 the central part of my capital city. And so in um, 2 Samuel 6, he goes through this elaborate ceremony uh, where they bring the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem, or, or they, they try to, it never actually gets that far. One of the mistakes that David makes is he puts the Ark on a cart, an oxen carry the cart, and and God never intended for his presence to be carried by oxen. He, he always intended for his, uh, for his presence to be carried by, by men, by the priests. And sure enough, the oxen stumble. And the ark begins to fall. And a man called Uzzah, he probably thought that he was trying to do God a favor. But he reaches out and he touches the ark of the covenant. And God strikes him down dead. And this is what we read in verse 9. David was afraid of the Lord that day and he said how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me he was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David instead he took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite for three months and the Lord blessed him and his entire household well, let me read that verse again, verse 11. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite for three months and the Lord blessed him and his entire 
household. Wow, for those of you who like to just take a scripture and meditate on it, I want to encourage you this week, if there's one scripture just to meditate on this week, meditate on that verse. This man invited, I don't know if he had a choice or not, but the ark of the Lord came into his own. Remember what the ark of the Lord represents. It represents the presence of God, the glory of God. It represents fellowship with God. God said, that is where I will meet with you. It represents a kingdom of God. It was God's throne on earth. And so this man brings the ark of the covenant into his home for three months. And there's just this incredible verse, which is just absolutely packed with truth. It says the Lord blessed him and his entire household. You know, the favor of God is one of the greatest things that you can possess in your life. What is the favor of God? You know, um, if we looked it up in a dictionary or if we looked it up in a Bible dictionary or we could study it in Hebrew or Greek or Aramaic or we could look up different versions of the Bible, I'm sure there will be all kinds of different descriptions as to what the favor of God is. But really the favor of God, it's, it's almost impossible to describe. It's just something that you have to live in. But when you are living in the favor of God, I like to call it God's standout factor. It causes everything you do to stand out. It's the favor of God that attracts the blessing of God. It's the favor of God that opens doors that no man can open. It's the favor of God that sees heaven open over your life. The book of Proverbs tells us that the favor of the king is like a rain cloud in spring. In other words, when the favor of God is over your life, heaven opens and God just showers you in his goodness. God showers you in his amazing grace, like what Dolly was talking about. The favor of God is not something that you can earn. It's something that God bestows. And yet there are a couple of times in the Bible where it talks about um, people growing in favor with God. In other words, there are different levels, there are different dimensions to the favor of God. The powerful truth of the gospel is this, that one of the reasons why Jesus came was so that me and you can walk in, live in, experience the favor of God in our lives. Remember the angels who gave the message to the shepherds when Christ was born? Peace on earth to all those on whom his favor rests. God wants his favor to rest on your life. God wants his favor to rest upon your household. And the result of that is peace, shalom, healing, health, wholeness, abundance. The very first message uh, that Jesus preached that we know of in the in the in the. Um, in the synagogue, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And one of the things he said, to declare that this is the year of the Lord's favor. This is a year of jubilee. This is a year when debts are canceled. We heard about that earlier on. This is a year when the slaves go free. This is a year when your inheritance is restored to you. The apostle Paul elsewhere in the New Testament says, now is the time of God's salvation. Today is the day of God's favor. You know, a few weeks ago, God gave me a prophetic word about favor. And I shared this in our in-person services that we were doing on a Sunday night in Jubilee. And uh, I won't read you the whole thing, but let me just kind of uh, just read you kind of a few kind of highlights out of this prophetic word. 
Uh, for some time you have felt estranged and distant from the favour of the Lord. But now a shift is coming and the Lord is reconciling you to his favour. The Lord is marrying you to his favour. In the past, you have flirted with favour. You've experienced moments of favour. But now the Lord is entering into a marriage covenant of favour with you. I see a hand with favour written upon it and the hand reaching out, inviting you to take hold of it. Say yes to favour, embrace favour, be joined to favour. Uh, you will feel the kiss of favour of your life. Favour is coming to kiss your finances. Favour is coming to kiss your home. Favour is coming to kiss your ministry. Favour is once again coming to kiss the works of your hands. As a bride takes the name of a husband, the Lord today gives you a new name and that name is favour. I see a woman calling her bank and saying, I've just got married and I need to change the name on my account. I see bank accounts and the name of the account holder changing to favour. I see cheques being written under the name favour. I see mortgages being written off under the name favour. I see uh, buildings purchased under the name favour. It goes on, I'll maybe put a link up later to that full prophetic word. But I believe that God wants every one of us to walk into and, and to experience his favour. And there was something about this man, Obed-Edom, how he experienced the favour of God in his life. How did the favour of God manifest in his life? Uh, we don't know. Um, we know that this favour not only affected him, not only did, uh, did it affect um, his family, uh, but it even affected his possessions as well. It says the Lord blessed everything he owned. I, I don't know, maybe he got an extra chicken nugget in his happy meal, like Matt was talking about earlier. Maybe it was a financial blessing. Maybe, maybe it was health. Um, even some Rabbinical scholars, if you study it, they believe that one of the blessings uh, that came to his household was fertility. In fact, some rabbinical scholars believe that in that three-month period where the ark was in his home, Obed-Edom's wife and his daughters-in-law all conceived children. Maybe some of you need that favour and are praying for that favour. Maybe some of you really don't want that miracle. I think I'll settle for the extra chicken nuggets. I don't know about anyone else. But the point is, there was abundance. There was breakthrough. There was life. There was the goodness of God that came to this man's home, to his family because of the ark of the Lord. Uh, let's just uh, keep reading. It says in verse 12, now King David was told, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of the Lord. Don't miss that. This favor was not coincidental. It was not just chance. It happened because the ark of God was in his home. It was because there was intimacy, fellowship with God in his home. It was because the presence of God was in his home. It caused everything he owned, everything he touched. It caused his loved ones to experience the overwhelming goodness, the overwhelming blessing and favor of God. It tells us in Zechariah 11 um, that it pictures God as a shepherd uh, ruling over his people. And it says that God shepherds his flock with a staff called favor in one hand and a staff called union in the other hand. 
Favour and union always go hand in hand. The favour of God flows out of our union with the Lord, out of our communion, out of our fellowship with God. When we, like Obed-Edom, invite the ark of God into our home, when we make our home a place for God's presence to dwell, when we fill our homes with prayer, when we fill our homes with worship, when we, uh, when we have communion in our homes, um, when we make the word of God a priority in our homes, when in our homes we live by kingdom principles, things like honour and uh, forgiveness and kindness, we are inviting the kingdom, the ark, the glory of God into our homes. And when we do that, everything changes. For this man, Obed-Edom, the day that he invited the ark into his home, everything changed. And I believe today when we make that decision, I am going to invite the presence of God into my home. I'm going to invite the ark, the glory of God into my home. I believe that day, get ready for everything to change in your life. Um, what I love and what I find so significant um, about this passage for, for us today is that you have to get what God was doing here. This is a new era that God's people are about to enter into. God's glory was coming back to the nation. God's presence was once again going to be right at the centre of the nation. I don't know about you, but isn't that what we're praying for, what we're believing for, what we're longing for? Some kind of national revival, some kind of awakening, some kind of outpouring. But how did God do it? God didn't bring the ark to the tabernacle. God didn't bring the ark to the temple. God didn't bring the ark to the public gathering. All that would come, we'll look at that in a moment, but it began in someone's home. It began in someone's house. And it seems to me that whenever you see God doing something new, it always starts with a family. Right at the beginning when God created Adam and Eve, he didn't, he didn't build a church building for them and say, right, you know, 10.30 on a Sunday morning, I'll meet with you there. No, he said, you just go for a walk in the garden and every day I'll walk with you, I'll talk with you, I'll fellowship with you. Later on when God is looking for a, a, a people that he wants to call out and bless and make his very own, how did he, how did he do it? He started with a family. He said, he appeared to Abraham and Sarah, said, I am going to bless your household. I'm going to bless you with children. I'm going to bless you with a family. Even the early church, when God poured out his spirit in Acts 2, the early church didn't have church buildings uh, straight away. That would come later, but they began meeting in people's homes. It seems like when God is about to do something new and something fresh, he always begins in people's houses. Could it be that God is about to launch the church into this new era of glory, but he's beginning by shutting us in our homes and saying, if revival doesn't begin here, it won't begin anywhere. If this move of glory doesn't affect your eating, your sleeping, uh, if th this move of God doesn't affect your marriage, if this move of God doesn't affect your going to work, if this move of God doesn't affect your parenting, 
then it's not really a move of God. I see a pattern here with what happened in 2 Samuel, with what God is doing in our day. He's stripping us of everything. He's bringing the ark into our homes so that we can get shut in with him. We can have these weeks, these months of intimacy with God so that we can experience his favor in such a wonderful and such a glorious way. So David, uh, David hears about this. He hears um, that the, the Obed-Edom, everything he owns has been blessed by the presence, by the glory of God. And David says, I want some of that. And so finally, he, um, after three months, he brings the ark back to Jerusalem. And this time he does it properly. The priests carry the ark on their shoulders and they have this incredible praise party as, um, as the ark comes back to Jerusalem. There's singing, there's dancing, there's musical instruments. There's just this incredible um, explosion of joy and worship um, as the ark, again, th th there's a public gathering that takes place. This is a story, this is the moment when David himself is worshipping so radically that his wife, Michael, looks down and sees him worshipping and he's in trouble when he gets home that night. She says, uh, you have been so undignified dignified dancing before God like that and David of course looks at her and he says I'll be even more undignified than this in the presence of my God do you know what if you were to um, if you were to look at the scene that day you would have seen the crowds of people worshipping and praising God. You would have seen the priests. You would have seen the Levites. You would have seen David the king there dancing with all his might. Of course, you would have seen the Ark of the Covenant. But do you know who else you would have seen in that crowd? You would have seen Obed-Edom. Because this is what it tells us in, in the story. That when the Ark of God left Obed-Edom's home, Obed-Edom went with the ark and the Bible actually tells us that he was part of the worship team as the ark of God was coming back to Jerusalem it tells us that he was playing the harp in the midst of this praise I love how when um, Obed-Edom got the knock on the door Obed-Edom you've had a good three months but the ark is moving now I love how Obed-Edom's response was this if God is moving I'm moving if God's presence is on the move, I'm going with God's presence. Obed-Edom, for the rest of his days, he, he, it was almost like he became addicted um, to the Ark of the Covenant, to what it represented. And he made proximity with the Ark his life's goal. I love how, you know, Obed-Edom could have got so sad um, when the ark left his home. Uh, he could have just grieved over what he had lost or he could have maybe become bitter. He could have got bitter at David for robbing him of the favour that he was enjoying or maybe, maybe this is even worse, he could have lived the rest of his days with a sense of nostalgia. You know, he could have invited God TV in his home and he could show them this is where the ark was. He could have written a, written a book, maybe two, uh, you know, uh, my, my ark encounter, my, the, the three-month revival that I enjoyed in my home. He could have dined out on that for the rest of his days. But instead, Obed-Edom was determined. I, I'm moving with God. I want a new encounter. I want a new experience. I'm not settling for what I've enjoyed 
marriages for three months. I want to move into the next thing that God's got for me. And friends, I don't know about you, we, we've had this time, we've had this season shut up in our homes and, uh, and you know, please God, hopefully, uh, let's wait and see what the Prime Minister says tomorrow, but hopefully we've got some kind of light at the end of the tunnel. But I'm determined that when I move out of lockdown, I'm moving, I'm moving into the new thing that God has for me. I don't want to be uh, just mourning about missed opportunities. I don't just want to, you know, talk about the past. I want new new God stories. I want new miracle testimonies. I want new visions, new dreams, new encounters. I want to be like Obed-Edom that when God moves, I move with God. So David brings the ark back to Jerusalem and he puts it in a tent. And this tent is known as the tabernacle of David. It was simply a dwelling place for the glory of God. You know what I find so fascinating about this? Is if you read about the tabernacle of Moses and you read about the temple that would come later, there is verse after verse after verse going into such detail about what the tabernacle was made of, what the temple was made of. It tells you about the, the different materials. It tells you about the cloth, the embroidery. It tells you... Um, about the patterns. It even tells you the different measurements and the different dimensions. When it comes to the tabernacle of David, there is no detail whatsoever about what, the, what it looked like, uh, what, the, what color it was, what dimension it was. It's like all that mattered was there was somewhere to host the glory. Again, you read about the tabernacle of Moses, you read about the, the temple of Solomon and there is verse after verse after verse about all the ceremonies and all the different things that they had to do, all the different protocols that they had to follow. There were special days and special feasts. There was none of that in the tabernacle of David. Again, in the tabernacle of Moses, in the temple of Solomon, there was the, the veil and the high priest and all eyes on the high priest as he went through the veil. There was no veil. There was no holy of holies in the tabernacle of David. It was just glory. You read about the tabernacle of David. There was singing. There was music. There was thanksgiving. There was praise. There was rejoicing and clapping. There was shouting and dancing. There was a lifting up of hands. There was seeking God in prayer. There was confessing the word. There was prophecy. There was no... A protocol that they were following. There was no rule book that they were following. It was like an explosion of creativity. It was not about special days and special feasts where God's people gathered. This was a 24-7 thing. This was a lifestyle. It wasn't about looking at man. It wasn't about ministering to the crowd. It was about hosting the cloud. It was just, it, it was not about, sometimes people weren't there, but people would sing and pray and worship just ministering to the audience of one, just ministering to the Lord. 
You know what the amazing thing is that, that the book of Acts tells us, and this is actually quoting from Amos, but it tells us that in the last days, God is going to rebuild the tabernacle of David. It says in Acts 15, after this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it, that the remnant of men may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things could it be that there is a pattern here that God is bringing his glory back to the nation he's starting in our homes he's starting with our families but then we're going to transition out of that we're not going to lose that but we're going to transition back into these public gatherings but maybe church in the future is going to be a little bit more like the tabernacle of David maybe it's going to be less about the pulpit less about the platform less about the man or the woman of God on the stage less about uh, ministering to the crowd, keeping people happy. Maybe what God is looking for is not, uh, is not fancy buildings. Yes, we need a building, but, but it's not about the intricacy. It's not about the, me the, the mega church. It's not about, uh, it's not about any of that. It's just about a gathering place where we can host the glory of God, a place where 24 seven, if we need to, there's prayer, there's worship, there's a word of God, there's prophecy there's healing it's not about a Sunday service but it is about a lifestyle of hosting the glory of God it's not about following a set list it's not about uh, looking to the clock it's not about start times and stop times it's about creativity it's about Holy Spirit moving it's about dwelling and hosting the presence of God I'm getting excited just thinking about it. And the amazing thing is that that verse in Acts tells us that out of this, men will seek the Lord. Out of this, the Gentiles will come. In other words, if you get this right, if you build a home for my glory, if you learn to host my presence well, there will be a movement of mission. There will be a movement of justice. There will be a movement of evangelism that will flow, that will touch nations that will change cities that will change regions so David builds his tabernacle and the Bible tells us that Obed-Edom ended up staying in the tabernacle of David this guy just wanted to be around the thing that had changed his life he wanted proximity to the ark to the glory that had changed his family the Bible tells us that he was a gatekeeper in the house of David. In other words, it was his job to make sure that nothing unclean entered that tabernacle, that nothing would disrupt um, that sweet presence of God that David was trying to build. You know, there's a, there's a truth that every one of us, we are gatekeepers in our homes. Uh, we could even talk about the fact that we as a church, we are the spiritual gatekeepers of the city. Wow, that's an interesting thing to ponder on, isn't it? Let's make it personal for a moment. Me and you, we are the gatekeepers of our own hearts. We are the gatekeepers of our own minds. Our job is to make sure that we allow nothing into our heart, nothing into our, into our minds that is going to pollute, that is going to water down, that is going to damage the sweet presence of God that God wants us to host.
Obed-Edom made the perfect gatekeeper. Why? Because he knew how precious the ark was. He knew how precious the presence of God was. It had changed his family. Friends, when you know, when you know just how sweet the Holy Spirit is, when you know how sweet intimacy with God is, when you realize there is nothing more glorious than when his presence rests upon my life, you make it your determination. I am not going to allow anything to cause him to leave. I'm not going to allow anything to come between me and sweet fellowship with Jesus. So the Bible tells us things like, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not put out the fire of the Holy Spirit. Do not forsake your first love. Love what Bill Johnson says. Um, How would you walk if you had a dove resting on you and you didn't want it to leave? Wow, how would you walk if you had a dove resting on you and you didn't want it to leave? I guess carefully is the answer. I guess every step you are aware and conscious of what it is that you carry and you don't want to lose it. Wow. I I can't see the comments from here. I hope that you have been blessed and encouraged by this this morning. Just want to look at one more Uh, one more kind of scripture where Obed-Edom pops up again. This happens many years later. Solomon is now getting ready to become king and Solomon is getting ready to build this magnificent temple where again the glory would fall, the fire would fall. And it talks in 1 Chronicles 26 about all the different people that worked in the temple. And this is what it says, Obed-Edom also had sons, and then it gives you a list of them, eight of them. It says, for God had blessed Obed-Edom. It says, his son Shemaiah also had sons who were leaders in their father's family because they were very capable men. The sons of Shemaiah, Othni, Raphael, Obed and Eliab, it goes on to say, they were all capable men. All these were descendants of Obed-Edom. They and their sons and their relatives were capable men with the strength to do the work. Descendants of Obed-Edom, 62 in all. Wow, this is absolutely incredible. That one decision to allow the ark into his home, it changed his family for generations. Obed-Edom had eight sons that all served God. He had grandchildren that were leaders in the house of God. He had 62 descendants who were all capable men. Of course, because of the culture of that day, it only lists the men, but presumably there are daughters, there are wives, there are daughters-in-law, all serving God. What a legacy. You know, when you get close to the ark, when you make it your life's goal, I am going to stay close to the ark. I'm going to invite the the ark into my home. I'm going to move when the ark moves. I'm going to be a good gatekeeper. I'm going to steward the presence of God well in my life. Friends, it changes not only your life, but the lives of those around you. It has the power and the ability to shape your your generations, your legacy for years and years to come. 
Friends, uh, you know, I, I owe it as, as a parent. I owe it to have the ark in my home because I owe it to my children for them to know what the presence of God is. I, I owe it to them to, to know what a move of God is in their lives. For, for those that that's not applicable to, how about your spiritual children right now? Church, revive church. We owe it to this generation. We owe it to the generation that's coming after us to be men and women of God. We owe it to the generation that's coming after us to, to, for them to experience a move of the Holy Spirit.